0: Lord, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives. We think of how often we go through days that seem just normal, just normal days. And yet, you're at work in the normal days. In fact, most of our days are normal. And there you are, working, accomplishing your good pleasure, your goodwill. And here we are. This is a normal Sunday. Nothing out of the ordinary, we're gathered here to praise your name. It's cloudy and got a little rain, but here we are. The lights are on. Thank you for that. We thank you for the, uh, the warmth. We thank you for the, the joy of fellowship. We thank you for your word. We're grateful as well, Lord, for your spirit that is here in our midst. And we pray that this normal day would be completely marked by your supernatural presence your work in our lives that you have planned of old to accomplish right here now even in the coming minutes meet us here we pray in your power and do mind-blowing things that we could only imagine that you could do in jesus name we pray amen i titled the sermon i am redeemed i am redeemed we made it to ruth chapter 4 uh, so next week is the concluding sermon as, as we uh, finish our series through the book of Ruth. Today we're going to see some resolution, which is wonderful. It's, it's, it's tough to leave off like we did last week on a cliffhanger. Well, what's going to happen? Who is this other guy? There's another Redeemer. Oh, no. And so the story continues to unfold, and I'm excited to share it together with you. We begin at the city gate in verses 1 and 2. Let's just look at how the story goes here. Uh, Verse 1, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Uh, Just so happened that he came by, right? You get that that narrator thing going, it's it's, it's, just, behold, there he was. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Okay, just pause before you go any farther here. Let's think about how this is going. First of all, he goes to the gate of the city. This is where uh, everyday normal business would take place, Uh, a gathering point. When I worked in construction in Michigan, we would always meet at the coffee shop at 6 a.m., right? And we'd get there and and drink way too much coffee because none of us really wanted to go out in the Michigan winter, and, and work construction. So we would have lots of coffee and, and chit-chat. And all the subcontractors were there, and all the guys that we rub shoulders with in the building shops, they were all there. Well, similarly here, this is the city gate. This is where uh, the business is conducted, and people, if you want to run into someone, this is where you go. And Boaz definitely wants to run into someone, and I think he kind of knows who he's going to find when he waits at the city gate. Let's see... Uh, He's seeking out the other guy, the other guy. Now, I say that that way because there's no name here. This man is not referred to by his name, although Boaz, I'm sure, would have known him and known his name. He could have used his name, but notice what he says. In fact, in the text, it says friend. Turn aside friend and sit down here. But in the original language, this is poloni amoni. Here's what it means. So-and-so. Hey, so-and-so, come over here. Have a seat. Or, for our purposes today, Mr. No-Name. Okay? Now, you might ask, well, why not just use his name? And what we find many times in Scripture is that, I mean, the, the, the lack of a name is as purposeful as the use of a name. This is a statement about who this man is, that his name is not recorded. The narrator chooses not to use his name, though I'm sure Boaz knew it. He refers to him as so-and-so or Mr. No-Name. Come sit down here. Well, we're going to find, in fact, that this Mr. No-Name is a man who lacks honor. He, he is self-seeking and he is uh, behaving in an ungodly way. In fact, he's the first in line to redeem Naomi and Ruth, to provide for these two widows who have come back. And he has done what all this time? Nothing. Now, you might scratch your head and say, well, did he know? Remember where we're at. This is Bethlehem. This is a tiny little town. Everybody knows everything. They knew Ruth and Naomi were back before they even got to the city center. The word had traveled and anybody who might have thought he didn't know, would have already brought this to his attention, I'm sure. Do you know who's back? Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're up? You're, you're in line. This it's, it's on you. No action. He is shirking his responsibility until Boaz basically catches him coming through the gate and says, hey, so-and-so, come here. i got a little seat here for you. I brought my towel. You can sit on that. It's nice and padded. Just have a sit down for a second. And the man agrees. He agrees to sit down, which is important. He'll listen. He's willing. Hmm. It's an interesting thing. This contrast that we see, so much of the early part of chapter 4 wants us to see the difference between Boaz and Mr. So-and-so or Mr. No-Name. There is a contrast given. In fact, we see contrast throughout Scripture, don't we? God is a God who works to to make beautiful that which is right and righteous by setting it against the backdrop of that which is not. The glories of heaven against the, the justice and wrath of hell, right? The glories of Christ, the Redeemer, set against the betrayal of Judas and his kiss. True love against self-seeking love. And so this contrast is pretty distinct. It's in view. In fact, you want to see Boaz uh, and his understanding of his role. This is how Naomi knew Boaz and what she said of him last week. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man, Boaz, he will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. What does Naomi know about Boaz? This is a worthy man. He's not just going to hope you forget or let a month or two go by. He's a man who does what is right, and he doesn't delay. I always remember my parents reminding me, my mom especially, she would say, Jeremy, to delay is to disobey. Now, parents, you can use that, okay? Think about this. Son, I want you to go clean up your room. Okay. A day or two later, what have I done? I've disobeyed. Uh, There is an obedience, a quickness to this that she sees in Boaz and anticipates. And sure enough, he's there at the gate. First thing. Contrast against this other man is that he has waited months and done nothing. So they're there where the public business is transacted and he gathers 10 elders, 10 witnesses in this time in order to have a synagogue officially recognized and up and functioning. You had to have 10 men. And uh, so the number 10 was a a valued number, a complete number. Boaz says, let's let's gather 10 elders, 10 respected men who can then serve as witnesses, much like we do at weddings before God and before these witnesses here today. And so they are then going to witness this legal proceeding that's about to unfold that Boaz has in mind. Now I titled the next section, No! I just had to. Kind of like those soccer announcers when they score a goal. It's like this in the story. You're going along and then you hit verses 3 and 4 and you just want to say, No! Let's read it. And he said, get ready. He said, I will redeem it. Exactly. No. What? That's not what we want to hear. We're we're four chapters into this, this love story. This can't be. Say it's not so. Now, selling a parcel of land, let's consider this a little bit here. There are some really interesting details that are taking place. First of all, the the selling of a piece of land was more, uh, more or less the use of that land, okay? Because the land was not really something that could be sold. That was something that was to be remaining in that name, that family name, throughout the generations. It was to stay with that family as it was parceled out on the finishing of the conquest. And so you have this piece of land that Naomi owns, and she has it, but she's of an age where she cannot work this land. She is unable to farm this land. And so she's probably selling in numbers of years um, the use of this land to somebody. Now, the problem that you have here is that uh, the year of Jubilee, and just have to kind of build this into our understanding... Every 50 years, the end of seven sevens, so uh, after the 49th year, every 50 year, think about this. Every prisoner, all the captives were released in the year of Jubilee. Uh, All debts were completely abolished and forgiven. And the big piece of the puzzle here, all property was returned to its rightful owners. Or, in that sense, those who had to do what Naomi was doing to, to sell off the use of her land to someone who could actually produce it and, uh, and, and profit from it, then would have to, s- to give that back to Naomi at the end of uh, the, uh, the, the 49 years or in the year of Jubilee. And also, all labor contracts were released. So, Anyone who was an indentured servant, anybody under the yoke of uh, another employer was then set free to return. And it was kind of like hitting reset on all of the economy. So after 50 years, every 50 years, the Lord hit reset and things went back to the way they originally were. What it does is it actually avoids the uh, rich becoming richer and richer and those who are poor becoming poorer and poorer and it kind of resets things back to the way they originally were. Here's the problem that we have, though. Naomi is trying to sell this property or the use of this property for as many years as lead up to Jubilee, and then it all resets. But, but what do you do when it resets? Naomi is an older lady, and, and Ruth is a widow. She has no, no name. There's really no one to give this land to. And this, this is what the Redeemer sees. He sees this. And he says, hey, I can acquire land with no future lineage to claim it back at the year of Jubilee. Done. It's a win-win. I, I get this land, and I get it for basically forever. And I, it becomes my family land. It becomes my generational blessing." It becomes part of my inheritance. So I put money down, but I'm actually gaining here. I gain inheritance for my future generations. And so he says, I will redeem it. I just can't help but wonder if Ruth may be there in the crowd and Naomi. I mean, it's, it's all about Naomi and the name and the future, and Ruth is almost always with Naomi, so maybe... They're part of the onlookers. As the men of the city are at the gate and they're conducting this business, there was clearly a, a larger group of people around. If you hear this man first in line, say, "I will redeem it." Imagine that moment, say in slow motion. I just imagine Boaz inside. What is he thinking? If this were a movie, you would see Boaz. Ruth is over there, you know, pretty as can be, the, the, the sun shining through her hair again. And he says, I will redeem it. And Boaz looks. Right? I mean, slow motion and her eyes. And then she goes. Right? I, you just feel that. No. Could this be the way the story is going to go after all of this? Now, we don't know if Ruth was there. But thankfully, it's not the end of the story. It doesn't end there. Let's read on. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Oh, it was close. It was a close call. Boaz is such a masterful director of this series of events. He waits to to bring this important piece of the puzzle uh, to to light until the man says, yeah, I'll redeem it. Piece of cake. That looks great. I win on on both fronts. And then he adds this very significant portion in. Hmm. You must perpetuate the name, the name, right? Whose name? This is Elimelech because both of his sons are dead and Ruth is now uh, the, 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 the widow of Malon. And so here, his name is attached to Elimelech's name, and the land, you, you can't separate that. Ruth goes with the land. Because the name, the name matters so much. Perpetuation of the lineage and provision for two widows was not what this Mr. No-Name signed up for. He, he was not interested in this. In fact, his response, he repeats because he says, I, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I don't want to impair my own inheritance. Now think of what that communicates. What is he saying? Well, if I'm going to put money down, I want to have a certain and sure return on that money. If I put money down to purchase this property and then I have to raise up an heir who's going to inherit it at the year of Jubilee, I've wasted money. And, and there's no return for me. Therefore, I'm out. I'm out. Now, to be clear, I mean, he has the right of refusal. He, he can do this. It's legal, but it's selfish. He's not concerned about these two widows. He doesn't have concern for grace or for their future, or for their uh, their story. It's just, it's all about him. I cannot redeem it. Or, I will not. I will not do it. In fact, you could hear him say after this, it's not personal, just business. Right? How many times has that line been used as an excuse for sin? For for hard-hearted, self-centered, self-serving activity in the business world. Hey, man, it's not personal, it's just business. It's what it is. Now, there are times where that's Valid, right? But there are other times where you have this meeting of circumstances and you say there, there's got to be a better way, a righteous way for this to unfold. It's kind of like the difference between the letter of the law and the heart of the law. right? By the letter of the law, this man is okay. He, he's, he's cool with just walking away and, and, and being done. But, but he's missing the heart of the law, which is what? Love. Love. The heart of the law is love. And and he is not motivated like Boaz is. He, he, He looks at these widows and he sees burden. Boaz looks at these widows and he sees blessing. I want to bless them. What can I do to help them? Interesting. Sacrificial love and generous grace. What a contrast between these two men buy it for yourself he says let's read this verse 7 now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging uh, to confirm a transaction the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was the manner of a test of a testing in Israel so when the redeemer said to boaz buy it for yourself he drew off his sandal okay so i brought my sandal i'm excited I've been saving these sandals I think I inherited a hand-me-down from Ethan. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> he used these, but his feet grew so fast he hardly used them. They're brand new. So I brought this sandal, and I thought, you know, it's interesting that that would be how they would communicate this. He drew off his sandal. He says, "I cannot redeem it. You redeem it." Now, what's being communicated here in in the handing of the sandal is, it is not mine to tread upon. This property. Well, I have a right to buy it. I refuse that right now, and I give you the right. You take my sandal, and I'll hobble home, I guess, on one foot, but, but I will not tread upon this land. This is yours now. You have the right. You take it, and uh, I will respect that. And, and it's in, in view of the witnesses. So there could be no recourse for this man to say, ah, oh, I changed my mind. No, you handed him the sandal. You gave him the sandal. It's finished. It's finished. What a joy this is for Boaz. Joyful proclamation. Now, if you could come back to our movie. Okay, enter into our our movie. Now, all of a sudden, Ruth's head lifts up. Right? Her eyes get bright. Boaz's heart is pounding. Yes! We could get married! God opened the door. He confirmed this was his will. Look at what he's done. Hmm. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people. So that now we've got a crowd that's, that's come in. They're witnessing this thing go down. He said, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife and uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And I may, maybe he added, and you're all invited to the wedding. Right? He is elated that this man would hand That sandal to him. The price was then exchanged for the land. It seems that the price was not small because this man was unwilling to to give that amount of money to get the land. And so Boaz, as we can tell, at least from from different cues, seems to be somewhat wealthy. He pays the price. And here's the thing we've got to remember this is grace operating. What's an amazing thing? Generous gift. Joyful proclamation. It is finished. It is finished. And if you're Ruth, you can say this now. Not anymore can it just be said there is a Redeemer. But it can be said now, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. Echoes that song they play on the radio. You you set me free. No more chains. I'm I'm redeemed. I have a name. I have a a husband. I have a home. I've been provided for. I've been brought in and blessed. So the people who have gathered all around, the elders there, they're they're overwhelmed at this. And uh, listen to what they say. I'll just read it through and then we'll look at it more closely. Then all the people who were at the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Wow. What words of blessing! This is. Now, these would be exciting words, and the joyful moment is there, but at the same time, these are really interesting words of blessing. Really a prayer that they're praying to the Lord for this new couple. Hmm. I imagine that there was a, a certain sense in this exchange that something very significant had happened. Th- this might be a big deal. In Bethlehem, why? Well, because it's so unexpected. It's 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 completely off the radar. This is not normal. This is amazing. Boaz is the son of a of a a harlot who was saved when the walls of Jericho fell. Right. He's the son of Rahab and Solomon, and and here he is now being able to marry a, a Gentile, a Moabite, who is a follower of Yahweh. Hmm. Let's look at these words a little bit more. May the Lord make the woman. So they're speaking this as a prayer to the Lord as they address Boaz. May the Lord make the woman, Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. Now what, if you're Ruth, why would that give you pause? Why might that be an uncertain future? She was married to Malon for how many years and had no children? Ten years. Ten years of marriage, no heir. That's one of the reasons why they're in the situation that that they're in, is is that it could be that Ruth is just unable to have children. And maybe some of the problems have been solved, but what about some of the other problems? What will happen? And so their prayer would have landed with, a challenge of faith for Ruth just like she's displayed already what is the future going to hold and when you first think of Rachel and bearing children what do you what do you think of you think of barren right Rachel couldn't have children and then their competition as they sought to to raise up Kids and eventually the, the 12 tribes came from these two women, but also their concubines, in part because they battled. The, the, the Lord would open and close the womb. And eventually, all 12 children were born some to Rachel and some to Leah. But the same wrestling and struggle of faith to trust the Lord, the one who opens the womb God can do it, God can open the womb is now immediately. Ruth, she's owning that. That's that's now my story. Lord, I look to you. We look to you. Please, as you have done, open the womb. Bring a child. Their second prayer of blessing is, may you act worthily. Boaz, they're addressing now, may you, Boaz, act worthily, as is his reputation, a worthy man, right? May the future... Be consistent with your past in Ephrath, and may you be renowned in Bethlehem. Well, how is that prayer answered? His great-grandson is King David. That's incredible. Of no little town, the little town of Bethlehem. The third prayer is, May your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, Because the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, this is a very, very heavy story. Very difficult. Tamar's husband died. No kids. And then the brother was supposed to raise up uh, an, an heir. And he refused to do what was his duty. He treated Tamar horribly. And then the Lord took him out because of what he had done. And treating Tamar so bad. And on and on. And then Tamar became to the point where she was so desperate that she she dressed up and and pretended to be someone else and actually was able to seduce Judah. Her father-in-law. What a a, a mess this is. And she had a son, Perez. And it just so happens that in all of this, in, in all of this mess... God would bring the royal line right through the middle of it such that you have have Tamar listed in the Matthew 1 genealogy. Incredible. One of the five women. In fact, you have Tamar listed and then you have uh, another one of the women listed is Rahab and then Ruth. How cool is that? All three come together in this little blessing. Hmm. Perez was Boaz's great-great-great-great-grandpa. So this is a family blessing. They're they're saying, listen, you are a part of this righteous lineage, this royal lineage, and and God is big enough to, to take even the darkest mess of our lives and accomplish glorious things as he has done in the royal lineage of Judah. God's blessing can overcome the most terrible circumstances. And this is what the book of Ruth celebrates. When the days are dark, don't give up hope. God is at work. So a response this morning, so much to, to, to celebrate in this great love story, I just want to draw our attention to two things. Two things. First is that this is God's sovereign plan. This was plan A. Even the, the no, what did he do? What? Did he say that? He said he would redeem. Oh, no. Even that was plan A. All of this, every detail, every day, every challenge and, and storm cloud, and tragedy and loss and, and, and celebration and joy, all of it is plan A. And look at how God is working. Look at what he's doing on just these normal days. God's sovereign plan. Do You realize that your life is plan A for God? Today is plan A. This, this, is, this is not God saying, oh boy, I didn't see that coming. What do we do now? This is God saying, trust me, wait for me, look to me. This is plan A. Even when it's hard and Lee's having a tough day and it it hurts and you're battling sickness, right? Even when you're on the mission field, Kathleen, and you're feeling all alone and the work is challenging and the weather is just pushing down on you, that's plan A. God's in that. The the normal day, the everyday. Hmm. God is big enough to accomplish his sovereign purpose in the mess of our lives. And he's working every day. This is how he works. I think we should just observe this because it's kind of a microcosm of God's. everyday, normal activity. He's at work. He's moving parts and pieces around. He's accomplishing all these things. But then you step back and you look. You see generations go by and then King David. And then you fast forward and you get all the way back here and you see Jesus. It's all woven in on purpose. This is only God can do that. Only he can do that. It makes you wonder how much awareness of these events they had as they occurred. How much did they notice this spectacular weaving and tapestry of God's sovereign hand? I think someday we'll look back in glory at our lives and just marvel at God's ability to accomplish all of the things that he did on our normal days. The second thing to draw our attention to is God's gracious redemption. I couldn't, couldn't help but think of the blood of Christ. His words, it is finished. The purchase price of our redemption. When He bought us with the blood of Jesus. We've been purchased back from the dead. From slavery, from darkness. We've been brought into the family of God given a name, a future, a love. God is so good. His grace is so lavish. And so we can say today, because of what Jesus has done, I am redeemed. I am redeemed through faith in Him, by trusting in His good and finished work. I am redeemed. I can be saved. If you're here today and you have not turned from your sin and run to Jesus and trusted Him as your Savior, today you can say these words. The promise goes out. All who believe in Jesus will be saved. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Repent of your sins. And you, like Ruth, can say, I am redeemed. Forever I have a home forgiven couldn't help but think of this passage from colossians and just want to close by reading this and then pray christians church good shepherd may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance right on ordinary days and heavy days and challenging days and glorious days and patience patience when it's not easy When you're at your very end, this is what I'm praying. With joy that you would give thanks to the Father. Why? He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The the, the kingdom of his beloved Son. Do you hear Boaz in that? He's just a shadow of the reality of what it is. This is the kingdom of Christ that we are brought into. How has this happened? Through his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, who are we to be given such a gift? We're the rebels. We're the sinners. We we are not righteous. We have no good in us that would be deserving of such grace. We are completely lost and and, and hell-bound on our own. And yet you chose to show grace. You have lavished your love upon us through the gift of Jesus Christ. And we love you and give praise to you today. Thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for your patience with us when we are so weak in our faith and so distracted by the world around us. Help us to focus and to really feel the the treasure that you have given us in the blood of Jesus Christ. We feel the weight of that gift, the seriousness, the somber reality as we walk our way toward Easter week. But we also celebrate the joy and the victory and the freedom and the life that is ours through his shed blood. We give praise to you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.